Well, good morning, and again, welcome to uh, Christ Community Church in Leo Campus uh, on the home opener, home opener of the Chiefs, right? It's a big game today, um, but uh, we're just really glad you're here, and uh, I hope you sense, as Tara said, you're the presence of Christ um, that we love and adore here. Well, I don't know if you're fans of American Got Talent. Anybody a fan of America Got Talent? But something happened recently when Liz and I were watching this show that absolutely stunned me. But not only did it stun me, it stunned the judges and the audience, and it has taken the nation by storm. A group called Forte, three guys who met on the internet, who had never sung on a stage before, sang this song. Watch. It was an amazing moment. And what most people didn't realize is these three guys who are followers of Jesus Christ sang a Latin prayer. The Latin prayer's words in English I placed on this slide. Pious Lord Jesus, give them rest. Pious Lord Jesus, give them everlasting rest. Pious Jesus, who takes away the sin of the world, give them rest. Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world, give them everlasting rest. At that moment on national TV, I think we saw one of the truest truths of the universe take place, and that is all humans pray. We are hardwired to pray, whether we consider ourselves religious or irreligious. We find ourselves in a hospital bed or in a hospital room with a loved one, and regardless of our religious affiliation, we pray. We pray when we arrive at school, right, students, when all of a sudden there's this pop quiz, you go, God help me. We pray. Or kids, when you wanted that puppy for a long time and your parents have been slow to get it, You get down on your knees at bed at night and you pray, oh, God, give me a puppy or I'm going to die. We all pray. We're hardwired to do it. We all pray when life overwhelms us, when a marriage implodes before our eyes, when a business goes south, when we receive a call from a medical professional with the word cancer on it. One of the truest truths of the universe is all of us pray. And when our back is against the wall, our eyes look up. But there is another true truth of the universe that seems to be right on the heels of this reality to me. 
And that is, not only do we all pray, no matter what our religious affiliation or wherever we are, but we all, secondly, struggle with prayer. These two, two truths seem to be a part of all of our lives. Prayer is a different kind of communication, isn't it? I mean, it's not like you can text God and He texts you back. Most of our communication is with another embodied person, but prayer is, well, it's different. It's a great mystery, clearly, and we can't reduce it to a manageable formula or three easy steps to prayer. Now, let me say this morning that I have struggled with this message. This is a scary message for any pastor to give, let alone me. I feel I should be so much further along in the school of prayer with my master, Jesus. And yet, all too often, I find myself living a frenetic-paced life, overscheduled, marginless, rushing about, too busy and too distracted to pray. My cluttered, self-absorbed mind, my self-sufficiency often distracts me when I pray with a multitude of to-do lists and projects that need attention. And while there are seasons in my life where prayer seems to connect, where I find a place of intimacy with God, I'm often ambushed by guilt that I don't pray enough or I don't pray well enough. And for goodness sakes, I'm a pastor. So as I have been working on this message this week and this message has been working on me, I have been praying for you. And I've been praying for me. And before we open one of the most important texts of the Holy Scripture on prayer, Let's ask God to speak to us. Let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, you are our shepherd. So now in your mysterious ways, speak into the deepest corners of our hearts and minds and lead us to places of still water, to a banquet of refreshment. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you brought your Bible, I'd like you to turn with me to Luke chapter 11. Let's set the context of the disciples' prayer, or the Lord's prayer is what we often know. It's important to understand that the original Bible, the original text, was a manuscript where there were no chapter divisions. There are chapter divisions in our English Bible because it helps us with readability, and those are good things. But in this particular case, we often miss the context. In Luke chapter 5, we find Luke presenting to us Jesus at a pivotal moment in his ministry. It's a moment that shapes all of Luke's gospel when Jesus calls 12 disciples into his rabbinical school that is radical, that is unconventional, because rabbis of the day, people came to ask them the rabbi to teach them, here Jesus went out and recruited 12 motley guys. Jesus' school of training, his rabbinical school, was different. In Luke chapter 5, he introduces us to his rabbinical style, and it's not a classroom. Like, we go to school, students, we kind of walk into class, we listen to a lecture, do our thing, and we leave. But Jesus' school of training was much more like joining the military. 
You get your buzz cut, your new uniforms, you say goodbye to a civilian life, and you live a brand new life completely. So for three years, Jesus' disciples are brought with him into school, a rabbinical school. Last week, we looked at the first lesson Jesus teaches them. And Luke is very specific in his chronology here. In Luke chapter 6, Jesus says, this is lesson number one, guys. What is the truly good life? And now, when we come to Luke 11, he gives them the second lesson in his school. And that is, how do you pray? So as we enter into Jesus' school of prayer this morning, I'd like us to focus on two things. First, I'd like us to enter into the school of prayer and learn from Jesus how to pray. And then on the heels of that, to press in a bit more of what it means to pursue intimacy with God in prayer, to learn how to pray and to pursue intimacy with God in prayer. Let's first look at learning from Jesus how to pray. Now, again, these chapter titles can be, or chapter breaks can be uh, a problem here because Luke places this story right on the heels of the story of Mary and Martha. If you've read the New Testament, you know that Jesus is at their house and Martha is banging pans in the kitchen. She's anxious. She's nervous. She's filled with anxiety. She's distracted. And Jesus affirms Mary, who's sitting at Jesus' feet in a posture of prayerful intimacy. Luke places these sections right together with a thread of continuous thought because verse 42, if you look up and you have your Bible open, Jesus says, looking at Mary in the contrast of Mary and Martha, he says, Mary, you have chosen right. And notice the text says, there is one thing that is necessary. Now, there are no breaks here in the text. Right after this, on the heels of the Martha Mary reality, Jesus invites us through Luke's placement into his school of prayer. The single thread that emerges throughout all of this text is this, that one thing is necessary, and the key that opens the door to deeper intimacy with our Heavenly Father is prayer. Now, you'll notice in verses 1 through 13, there is a threefold structure. First, there is a surprising request in verse 1, then a simple lesson in verses 2 through 4, and then a short story emerges in verses 5 to 13. This is Jesus in session with his disciples. First of all, a surprising request. Look at me at verse 1. Now, Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. Now, this should take us by surprise. First of all, these men were good Jewish boys or Jewish young men. They had said great Jewish prayers, lengthy Jewish prayers in their home and high feasts and around the table and Passover. They had entered the synagogue every Saturday and said lengthy prayers. They had uttered prayers. They knew prayer. Or did they? And for the astute reader of the New Testament, you will realize that this is the only time the Gospels ever record Jesus being asked by his disciples to teach them something. The only time. Wow. They're not known to be a teachable band. I mean, when Luke places it here, they've already experienced some heady realities. I mean, they're with the rock star bone of Jesus. Crowds are swarming around them. I mean, there, they've made it. 
Not only that, they have power over evil and demons, and they've healed the sick. They've heard Jesus give great messages. You'd think they would ask him, Jesus teaches how to cast out demons. Jesus teaches how to wow the crowd with a great sermon. Teach us how to heal people. There's none of that. What stands out to them that shocks them is Jesus' prayer life, his pattern, the primacy of it, and its intimacy. So they ask him, Lord, teach us to pray. Now, what is Jesus' response? For them, it is shockingly surprising. Listen carefully as I read verses 2 through 4 again. Jesus responds, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive our sins. We forgive those who sin against us or are indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation. I don't know what the disciples were expecting when they entered into this class session with Jesus, but they weren't expecting this. What shocks us is the simplicity and boldness and honesty of this prayer. And primarily, Luke emphasizes its simplicity. Most of us know the Lord's Prayer through the Gospel account of Matthew, which is a little bit longer, but still is very short. In fact, if you look at the original language, Jesus gives them 38 words, 36 in English. Now, if you say 38 or 36 words, I've tried it, it's less than 30 seconds, for goodness sakes. There were used to long, elaborate prayers with the these and thous. Less than 30 seconds. That's what stuns us. And Luke amplifies that. When our kids were younger, it's hard to remember back then, <laughs> but Schaefer was a three-year-old once, my son, quite an astute young man, and uh, his first visit to the mall at Christmas time encountered Santa. And I'll never forget the reluctance. He sort of went, whoa, who is this guy? And he sort of made his way up there kind of slow, you know. <laughs> we say, Shaper, it's okay. He's okay. He's okay behind that beard. He's okay. And he had a big smile on, you know. So Shaper kind of walks up, kind of gets up, gets, sits on his lap, kind of easy. And Santa Claus looks at Shaper and says, what's your name? Shaper. Shaper's looking over like this. And Santa says, what do you really want for Christmas? And without batting an eye, Schaefer looked him straight in the eye and said, two things. <laughs> that my sister Sarah's ears would be healed. And that grandpa would come to know Jesus. I don't think that's what Santa Claus was expecting. But for a young three-year-old boy who got down on his knees and prayed that prayer every night, 
It made sense to him. My children have taught me much about prayer, and this is what Jesus is doing. And notice the threefold pattern, the structure of this prayer. It begins around this word Father. Don't miss that. The way Jesus prays in this simple prayer, the way to remember the structure is access, alignment, and asking. Access, intimate access, immediate intimate access. Alignment, and then asking. And you'll notice the word father. In Jewish context, God was referred to as father, but certainly not in an intimate way, like daddy getting on your lap or getting on daddy's lap. And what Jesus does in the prayer is he sets the foundation of the prayer in an intimate, familial kind of way. The relationship of a daughter to a dad, a son to a dad, is unique in its love and tenderness. Today, if I'm in a meeting, something I think is important, and on my phone I see Sarah or Schaefer call, I will stop what I'm doing to pick it up. Because of our relationship. In a family relationship, a son or a daughter has immediate, intimate access to the father, just like that. This prayer would have stunned the disciples. And Jesus says, say, Father. God's right with you, right there. Immediate access. And not only that, notice the alignment with God's will and his adoration. You'll notice he says, Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. This should be one idea together. It's a, it's a picture of adoring God and aligning our wills with him and saying to God, we want you to be honored and we want your world to be uh, following your ways and for the world to see your beauty and benevolence and brilliance that it would be shown throughout all of your world. We want you to be magnified, Father. Father. Once there's this sense of quick access and alignment of our will and adoration of God himself, there is asking. Notice the emphasis on asking in this prayer. Half of the time is taken up in a child of God, a daughter or son, asking the father for something. Jesus' prayer progresses to asking God in the message. Eugene Peterson hits this out of the park, as he often does. The paraphrase he says is this. I love this. Don't you love the simplicity, honesty, and boldness? Eugene Peterson says, keep us alive with three square meals. <gasps> keep us forgiven with you and forgive others. Keep us safe from ourselves and the devil. And you're thinking and the disciples are thinking, come on, Jesus, is prayer that simple? And Jesus is saying, yes. So I'd like you to join me in prayer. Let us enter into Jesus' school of prayer. And on the slide is your part to pray, and then I will follow it up. Let us pray. Lord, teach us, your disciples, to pray. Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. As your children, graciously forgiven and given new life, through Jesus our Savior, Lord, we long to know you for who you really are. We long to set you to set the world right, for the fallen creation to be fully restored again and for your world to be as you desire to be. We long for this, Heavenly Father. Let us pray. Father, give us each day our daily bread. 
Heavenly Father, we look to you to care for us, to meet our every need, meet the deepest longings of our heart. Let us pray together. Father, forgive us our sins, for we forgive everyone who is indebted to us. Father, in your gracious mercy, forgive us for what we have done and what we have left undone. Lord Jesus, knowing the price you paid for forgiving us, may we be so quick to graciously forgive others who have sinned against us. Let us pray together. Father, lead us not into temptation. Father, we are your pilgrims, trying to make our way the best we can in the ruin of the world and the rubble of our own evil hearts. So protect our fallen hearts and minds from cozy flirtations with evil's present seduction. Holy Spirit, go before us and behind us. Hold us close to your side and keep us from evil and the evil one's deadly snares and bring us safely home to the new heavens and new earth one day. In Jesus' name, amen. This is the simplicity, the boldness and the honesty that Jesus teaches us to pray with. And then he adds a story You will notice in the following verses that Jesus transitions right away to tell the story. It's really a simple story with the same idea. A neighbor knocks on a a neighbor's door late at night and has a guest arriving and needs some extra bread. This is very common in the Middle East, a community where hospitality was one of the highest values. And what stands out to the story is as the disciples are listening, go, what a jerk this guy is. Because he says these lame excuses nobody would ever say in that culture, they would immediately get up and help that person get bread. Get bread. My kids are asleep. The door is locked. What a lame brain. That's how the disciples would responded. Yet this guy, as lame as he is, gets up finally because of the neighbor's shameless boldness and gives his neighbor what he needs. Jesus often uses this persuasion of going from the lesser to the greater in his logic. And so he makes this big pitch to say, say, if that is what a reluctant, jerky neighbor will do, how much more will the Heavenly Father do for you? Notice verse 13. He says, if you then, who are evil, or the idea is sinful, Know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Don't you find it amazing that Jesus mentions the third person of the Trinity here? What Jesus is saying is the greatest gift imaginable is the Holy Spirit. We know from the rest of the New Testament that the Holy Spirit comes on the day of Pentecost in a new comprehensive way to God's church. And Paul will say in Romans chapter 8, the Holy Spirit among many ministries is your prayer partner. Have you thought of it that way? In Romans 8, it says that the Holy Spirit intercedes. It means praise He comes alongside us. That means you and I never pray alone. Hearing Jesus' words about asking, receiving, the tendency for us in our culture is to kind of think of God as sort of a vending machine. 
a cosmic vending machine. If I just put in the right coins, write in the right words, have the right heart, then I pop it in and everything comes out what I want. But that's not at all what this text is teaching. What this text is teaching, not that God does not give us many good things. What this text is teaching is while we think of prayer as getting something, ultimately prayer is the greatest gift of knowing the triune God intimately. One of the finest classics of the Christian life was written in 1728. It's a book I commend for your reading. It's called A Serious Call to a Devout and Holy Life by William Law. And William Law says this about prayer. He says, prayer is the nearest approach to God and the highest enjoyment of him that we are capable of in this life. What I do not want for you or me to go away this morning and think prayer accomplishes things. Yes, it does. And we should ask boldly for things we long for. And God often answers it, but we must not miss that prayer ultimately is to draw us close to him. And that is what we were created for in the garden, intimacy with God and others. It is the deepest longing of your heart and mind to be intimate with the triune God. And prayer is the key that opens this door to intimacy that your heart longs for and mine. Prayer is the key that opens the door to intimacy with God. This is what Jesus is teaching. So how do we begin to pursue it? It is a pursuit. Let me suggest a couple things that are just a part of my own journey. That is, first, we need to be aware of those hindrances in our life to prayer, to intimacy with God that our heart longs for. And then talk a little bit about habits of the heart that pursue intimacy. Let's talk just a moment about hindrance of prayer. I want to suggest two of them because they're so real in my life. There's such a challenge in my life today. First, it's prideful self-sufficiency, and secondly, an overly busy, marginless life. Prideful self-sufficiency in an overly busy, scheduled, unplugged, marginless, frenetic life. First, I don't know of anything more in my life and when I have conversations with you on spiritual formation in your life, that a prayerless person is often a prideful person. That when we do touch-and-go landings with God, sort of guilt our way out the door in the morning, that we really have an issue of pride at the heart. You know, it's often said, guys hate to stop and ask for directions. Well, I'm like that. Ask Liz, the last thing I want to do, and that's why I love newbies and GPS so much, because I have to stop and ask for directions. But my prayer life is a lot like that. Because I don't like to stop and ask God for directions. I think I'm in charge of my own life. I think I've got it really figured out. And what prayer requires us to do at its foundation is to recognize we are radically dependent on God. Dr. John Stott wrote his last book before he died to the world. It's called The Radical Disciple. I highly encourage you to read it. It surprised me what Dr. Stott said. He said this. He said, I come back to dependence as the most characteristic attitude of the radical disciple. That God's design for life, your life and mine, that we would be utterly dependent on him. 
Man, that's a hard pill to swallow, isn't it? See, when prayer becomes a checkoff box, when it's a touch-and-go landing, when it's anemic and a cosmic vending machine approach, it tells us that our life is centered around ourself and our self-sufficiency. That's one of the greatest hindrances to prayer in my life is I think I'm in charge, I think I have it figured out, I think I can do it. But when I get on my knees, I recognize that God is in charge and I am completely dependent on Him for the air that I breathe. Secondly is an overly busy, distracted life. Do I have any amens here? Am I the only one? I am so much like Martha at times. And Martha was doing a lot of good things and we were created to do a lot of good things in work. But I'm so much like her. I'm banging pans in the kitchen. I got more stuff going on that I think is important. For God, I'm a pastor after all. Anxious, troubled, my mind's cluttered. I can't slow down. And I struggle being that Mary sitting at the feet of Jesus. Paul Miller in a wonderful little book called The Praying Life says this. He says, learning to pray doesn't necessarily offer you a less busy life. He says it offers you a less busy heart. Dallas Willard, who is a professor, was a professor at USC and a friend of Christ's community, we lost him this year to death. He has imprinted me and many others and our congregation as a wonderful friend of Christ's community. And of all the messages I ever heard, the one that overwhelmed my soul was a message he gave to a small group of us called the sin of the hurried life. And just ripped me apart. You seldom hear the word sin in the same context as being overly scheduled, overly busy, overly plugged. But perhaps in our cultural context, if you're like me, perhaps that is the biggest sin in your life. We don't think of it as the biggies, but we just don't have time for Christ. We're just too busy with sports, all the activities, there's no time to sit at Jesus' feet. Mike Iaconelli is so creative in how he cuts through things in a book called Messy Spirituality. Let me just highlight, because it so reads my mail. He says, What keeps many of us from growing is not sin, but speed. We are going as fast as we can, living life at a dizzying pace, and God is nowhere to be found. He says, we are not overtly rejecting God, we just don't have time for Him. And he says, it's our schedule that's annihilating us. Most of us don't come home at night staggering drunk. Instead, Mike says, we come home staggering, tired, worn out, exhausted, and drained because we live too fast. I want to suggest to you one of the greatest hindrances to prayer and to intimacy with Christ is this thing right here for all of us. See, Jesus calls his apprentices in Luke chapter 11 to live deep and not just fast. And this is a great challenge for me. As Christ's community has grown, my opportunities and schedule has grown and more demands, I am wrestling with this right now. I want to tell you that. And across from my desk, I have a statue of St. Francis of Assisi reminding me of that chair where I have to be on my knees. I'm not just so busy at my desk. Jesus longs to have intimacy with you. 
and you long to have intimacy with him. But it requires some decisions of your life and heart and schedule and a humility to say, Lord Jesus, I'm totally, totally yours. I'm totally dependent on you to live this thing called life. Prayer is the key that opens the door to the deepest intimacy that your heart longs for. And you and I are chasing other things that will never satisfy. This is what Jesus teaches his disciples. Lastly, the habits of the heart, just briefly. I think what's important for us without putting guilt on all of us, it's the last thing I want to do. I want to woo you to Jesus. But having regular times of prayer is important in that rhythm of apprenticeship. Habits of the heart can deepen in our life. Jesus models regular times of prayer. Luke highlights this. A certain place, a pattern. It was that pattern, that depth of pattern that allowed him to have this intimate conversation 24-7. If you do not have a regular time for prayer and a place for prayer, let me challenge you to start this week. The best time to start is now. Maybe if you're doing open here, one of the ways to start is right after you hear or read the open here passage, take the Lord's Prayer and read it carefully and slowly. Keep your prayer honest, simple, and bold. Many of the kids at Christ's community are praying. They're teaching us how to pray. Ann Taylor was telling me about this who serves with our children and she said, you should see some of their prayer cards, and she gave me them. Let me give you a piece of this. They're teaching me to pray. My dad's job, he doesn't like, and he's looking for a new one. God help him. Is that a great prayer? Here's another one. God, please help us. Help us get more money so we do not have to move. God, thank you for healing me when I crack my head open. And a P.S. is great. Happy Valentine's Day, God. <laughs> and it goes on. Please help me find better friends at school. One that's so specific is please help Dad put at the top on his car. What's so awesome about prayer is it is an equal opportunity employer. We are never too young or too old to pray. We are never too far from God to pray. We have never done so many bad things we can't pray. There's no details so small in your life that God doesn't care about that you can take to him in prayer. No desire, no longing, no passion, no hurt, no brokenness. Jesus wants to be there with you and carry it and transform your life. So will you enter into the school of prayer with me? Will you cultivate times of prayer in your own life? If you're married with your spouse or you have a Christian roommate as a single, will you pray together? Will you pray with your children I don't know anything that communicates love more to your kids than you pray your heart over them. And in your community groups and as we gather, will we make prayer a greater priority? The hymn writer Austin Miles penned these words that I go back to over and over again in my life. I come to the garden alone while the dew is still on the roses. And the voice I hear falling on my ear, the Son of God discloses. And he walks with me. And he talks with me. And he tells me I'm his own. 
and the joy we share as we tarry there, none other has ever known. Jesus waits in the garden for you and me. Will you go to him? Let's pray. Let's pray the Lord's Prayer together as he taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.